I am Reverend Abby Maynard. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to get to worship with you this morning. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark, the chapter, first chapter, verses 4 through 11. So hear these words. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came down from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. The word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the opportunity to worship together. Thank you for the opportunity to learn about you and who you are and what you mean in our lives. God, let this message be yours and yours alone and help me not to get in the way. Amen. So I am currently in the process toward getting ordained for ministry. Reverend Curry and I both are actually. And as part of this very long process toward getting ordained, we have had to answer a lot of questions about baptism. We have done it in interviews, we have done it in papers, we have answered a lot of questions on this topic. And there's good reason for that. Baptism is a very important piece of our tradition. It is a very important sacrament in our church. And it's one that people often have lots of questions about. And so I wanted to take some time this morning just to talk through some of the big questions that a lot of people tend to have about baptism in the United Methodist Church. The first question usually is pretty simple. What exactly does baptism mean? When people are coming to seek baptism for themselves or for their child, they usually want to know what is the point of this tradition? Why do we bother doing it at all? John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, wrote about baptism, and he said that baptism is the initiatory sacrament which enters us into covenant with God. This is a very fancy way of saying that this is the visible sign and promise of the start of our relationship with God and the start of our place in the community of faith. We believe that although we were created in the image of God, Humanity has become separated by, from God by sin. And because of that, God is constantly reaching out. Reaching out to us to bring us back into right relationship through grace. With baptism, we are acknowledging that the grace that God has offered to us, and we are becoming part of the church. 
It's our way of symbolizing the beginning of the life of faith. And it makes sense that this would be our starting point because it's exactly where Jesus starts as well. In the text for today, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and this is the first thing that he does in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is known for being the shortest gospel and being the most brief. And it's fascinating that we spend so much time at Christmas talking about the story of Jesus' birth and all of these important things that lead up to it, and none of that occurs in Mark's gospel. None of it is written about. For Mark, this is the beginning. Jesus will go on from here to start his ministry, but he begins in the waters of the Jordan with John the Baptist, having his relationship with God made known. Likewise, when we begin our life in the church, we do so by making our relationship with God known. And we follow the example that's set by Jesus using water to symbolize our cleansing, that we are dying to sin, washing it away, and beginning a new life in Christ. The next big question that people tend to go to is, is there a right way to be baptized? This is a very common question from folks who have come from another tradition or who have seen people in other traditions being baptized because especially if you've seen someone being baptized differently than how you were or how you're used to. In some traditions, you are supposed to baptize as babies because you have to be baptized in order to have a relationship with God. And so it's essential then that people baptize as soon as possible. In other traditions, the one being baptized has to choose this for themselves. They have to be aware enough to know what they're asking for, and they have to want to be baptized themselves. They have to choose it. And so in those traditions, you cannot baptize babies or small children because they aren't able to understand what's happening. In in some traditions, we use only a sprinkling of water or a little bit of water to pour. While in other traditions, you have to be fully immersed in the water. And in those traditions, you'll often have a kind of small pool in the church for baptisms, or you might even do it in a large body of water. There are a lot of ways that baptism can be performed. And in the United Methodist tradition, we recognize all of them. We understand that cleansing that happens in baptism is not dependent on where we are or who, which pastor is doing it or even how much water is used. Because the cleansing itself comes from the Holy Spirit. The person submerged in the lake is just as much a part of the church through baptism as the one who barely got enough water on their head to wet their hair. The real work done on the soul is not done with the water. It is done by the Holy Spirit through God offering us grace and bringing us back to that holy love that we are called to. We also don't recognize just one right age at which to get baptized because the right thing might be different for different people. Many people, myself included, do not remember their baptisms because it was when we were infants. Wendell will probably not remember his baptism, but it makes it no less valid. 
And then other people wait until they're older. They wait until their child can choose for themselves, or maybe they grew up in a tradition where baptizing infants wasn't very common, or maybe they grew up in a tradition where Christianity was not very common. For a lot of people, it can come later in life. By Water in the Spirit is our denomination's document um, that talks about baptism and what it is, what it means. And this document explains that the power of the Spirit in baptism does not depend upon the mode by which water is administered, by the age or physical disposition of the baptized person or the character of the minister. It is God's grace that makes the sacrament whole. It is not any of us, despite the fact that we are the ones you see doing baptism. It is God that makes baptism. It is God that imparts grace, that it is God that works on our souls. And that can happen at many ages. Last November, I got to perform a really special baptism. And it was a little bit out of the ordinary. Normally, when we do a baptism like what we have done today, we do it within the church walls, with the congregation gathered, with our baptismal font. Sometimes we use a shell or a pitcher. We have all these special things. We have people who are really excited. People take photos. Everyone's thrilled, and you welcome that new person to the church, and everyone wants to go see the new person and greet them. But last year, I got to gather with a handful of people in a little kitchen in Texas to do the vows of the church and baptize an 85-year-old man, someone who worships with us online. And I got to baptize him by pouring water from regular kitchen bowls. And I got to welcome him as a member of this church. It was the quietest, most intimate baptism I've ever done. It was the most simple and probably the most special that I will get to do because it was my grandfather's baptism. He had considered himself a Christian for many years and I have no doubt that he had a private faith between him and God. But it was a gift to get to take part as he chose to take an outward step with his faith, to acknowledge the grace that he had been given and to enter into the community of the church. It was a gift to be part of that. It was a gift that he was able to do that, even at 85. And so in the cases like that, where we talk about someone choosing it themselves, when we talk about someone who comes forth and wants to be baptized as an adult, that often raises the contrasting question of, so why do we baptize babies? If they can't speak for themselves, if they can't choose this, why are we baptizing infants? And the answer is because it's not about us. It's not about our ability. We are not the primary actors in baptism, not the parents, not the one being baptized, not the pastors. The primary one that is acting in this sacrament is God, because God is the one imparting grace. 
We believe that we experience grace in three different forms in the Methodist tradition, and those forms are provenient, justifying, and sanctifying. Justifying is the grace that we experience when we feel assurance, the confidence of God's love for us and forgiveness of our sins. And for a lot of adults who are choosing to be baptized, this is the grace that they are experiencing, this sureness of who God is and that God loves them. Sanctifying grace is what we experience when we already have a relationship with God and we are still being made better. Sanctifying grace is what brings us closer to wholeness and perfection in our love for God and one another. Sanctifying grace keeps making us better, keeps making us who God calls us to be. Provenient grace, though, is at work when we baptize babies or small children or really anyone who can't speak for themselves. Provenient grace is offered to us from the very beginning, before we are even aware of God. Provenient grace is reaching out to us, inviting us in, inviting us to awareness and to relationship. I have sometimes heard provenient grace described as the chips and salsa grace. Have you ever gone to a Mexican restaurant and before you could even sit down, they showed up with chips and salsa? You never had to ask for it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't even have to take it. It's just going to be there. Now, personally, I'm not a salsa person. So when I sit down, I like the chips, but I'm not really there for the salsa. It's just there. Provenient grace is sort of like that. We don't have to ask for it. As soon as we show up, it's being given to us whether we choose to take it or not. But it's there, it's offered, it's free. It is for us, for our taking, for our choosing, for us to take part in. In baptism, we recognize the provenient grace that God is already offering that child. And we welcome that child into the community, making vows to nurture, that person in their faith. We also find evidence for this practice in the Bible. We see descriptions of entire families, whole households being baptized together, like in the books of Acts and 1 Corinthians. And in these, these were people of all ages being baptized all at once as a group activity. It was an opportunity to accept God's grace, to become part of the community no matter what age someone was. The last very common question that tends to come up for folks is, can I get baptized again? This is pretty common for people, especially folks like me who have been baptized as infants and we don't remember it. And so we want that. We want to experience it again. We want to have the memory of doing that. And in the United Methodist Church, the answer to whether we can baptize again is no. And at first, that is a crummy-seeming answer. It's one of those things that we want to go, well, well, why not? If I don't remember it, I should be able to choose this for myself. But as I said earlier, God is the primary actor in baptism. 
God is the one offering us grace. God is the one welcoming us into the kingdom. And God doesn't make mistakes in offering grace. We don't need a do-over because we didn't do it the first time God did, and God did it perfectly. There's nothing we can do to change how perfect it was. So we don't have to do it all over again. Now, this isn't to say that baptism is the end point or that baptism is where we get saved and we're all done and we've completed our goals and that's all that's required of us because it's done and we don't do it again. That's not what baptism is here. Baptism is the beginning. It is where we start. It is us saying yes. It is us becoming part of the community And it is where we begin and continue growing in our relationship with God. Now, many people who, as I said, were baptized as infants don't have a memory of their baptism. And this is a frustrating answer. To say that you can't do it over can be frustrating when you want to claim that experience for yourself. And so, practically, this is very annoying. Theologically, it makes total sense. I'm not going to argue that God needs a do-over. I wouldn't dare. But practically, people want the experience of being cleansed and making commitments and joining the church. And so with this, we have things like confirmation. We have the opportunity for kids who have been baptized as infants to come and say, I am going to choose this for myself. Now that I'm old enough to understand, I am going to pick this. Or for adults who have never had the opportunity to come and say, yes, I don't remember what happened at my baptism, but I'm going to choose this now. We also make these commitments every time we baptize someone new. When we baptized Wendell this morning, we all made promises to be part of the life of the church, to be part of his life of faith. We remember our baptism each time we take part in the baptism of another. And we also at some times make real intentional efforts just to remember our baptism. Sometimes we have services where we remember our baptism, where we call people forward to touch the water, to feel it and to remember that we have been cleansed, that we have been loved into cleanliness, into salvation, into this love. We can do this all the time. We can renew our vows of baptism all the time. And while God is the primary actor in our baptism, we have the agency to renew the covenant that we make there. We have the ability to renew those vows, to remember what has been said and what has been done and take part in it over and over again. We can do this in a whole variety of ways. We can renew and remember in a church service. We can do this when we feel the water as we're washing our hands 
and saying a prayer. We can do this when we walk through the rain on a day like today and are reminded that that same water, that water with the Holy Spirit, is what cleanses us in our souls. In everything that we do, in all kinds of daily occurrences, we can remember our baptism. We can renew our vows with God. And we can always keep starting again and again. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God of so much love and light, we give thanks for the grace that you offer us. We give thanks that it is given to us freely and without price. We give thanks that there is nothing we can do to get away from your grace. God, we give thanks that you offer it to us even before we know about it. Help us, God, in all that we do, to remember the commitments that we have made, to renew our vows with you, and to uphold the life that we have been called to. Amen.